This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I just wanted to start our podcast. This is a fat loss chat. Normally, I have a coach with me, but we're sort of finding that to be a little redundant. So I'm going it alone based on um, Brad. If, you, if you've been following Brad's um, Ask Dr. Brad, I'm going to do it kind of similar to the way that he's doing it. I, I sort of hate the way that it works as it relates to me reading questions and, and things of that nature, but we'll uh, we'll try and work through that. Uh, that doesn't always come off great in the podcast, but in general, people tend to like the ability to listen to other people's questions because people are thinking of things that you might not be thinking of at the time. So right now, I'm basically in my fourth week reversing out of performance-focused fat loss. And if you're not familiar with Eat Reform, that's basically how we get people to a deficit and have them see results. But the big issue, and, and one of the things that sort of came up in the group coaching call right before this, was you know everyone sort of gets concerned that as they start to reintroduce the calories, and I would say that this is probably, you know, this is... This is everyone's really their biggest struggle. In the last three weeks, I've walked people through how I went from you know, basically 2,000 to 2,200 calories on the days that you know I was in a deficit to now days where I'm eating, you know, I mean, like on Saturday, I probably ate somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 calories. That was a little bit high on the day, of course, because it was a CrossFit competition. I was in Chicago trying out some, some, some different foods. In general, most of my workout days are, are 3,000. So the way that I do it, I think, is, is probably really interesting for you guys. And it'll be really interesting as you start to look at my food log. I always post my food log um, in quick start, I've been doing screenshots of my weight and stuff like that. And what I think a lot of you guys are seeing is the variability, right? There's so many people that want their weights to stay stable. And it's really that variability that allows you to, the kind of movement that your body sees that at times, obviously, there's going to be you know, an excess of food. And then occasionally, there's going to be days where your your intake is going to be a little bit lower. So what I try to do, especially early on, is I would feed my workout days. You know, so let's say that you know on workout days I was eating roughly three thousand calories. I would, as I'm reversing, I'm looking at it as more of an average. And the way that we teach it to you guys is we walk you through phases. But the thing that I always tell the group coaching folks is that you have the ability to walk through the phases as fast as you want. So I'm trying to show you guys how I'm walking through that as fast as I want. So really, when you look at most of my workout days, you know, what you'll see is my calorie points a lot higher. It's like 3,000, 3,200. And I use my rest days really as ways to kind of um, manage my weight in that process. So going into this fourth week, what I've had to do sometimes, it, you know, just as a way of managing it, 
is I've gone to say, let's let, as an example, probably my high PFFL number, which is 2200. What I'm going to be doing now, and it worked out great yesterday. So, for instance, I think my calories were roughly 2800, and it was a rest day, and I did virtually nothing. You know, I think I might have gone for a walk, but it wasn't even like a strenuous walk. Um, so what I'm really trying to, to, to focus on is making sure that my rest day calories are over 2,500. So I'm not kind of digging these huge deficits. I mean, yeah, the water release of going down to 2,200 and having my carbohydrates really low. Yeah, that's satisfying. But at the same time, it's not going to necessarily allow me the kind of work capacity that I could get if my, um, you know, my rest days were a little bit more energy. You know, for instance, if I set it up with, you know, one of the things that I've, I've done a little bit recently is have rice checks with, you know, like cocoon. Um, so rice checks with protein, that's a great thing um, as it relates to having energy for the workouts for the next day. Um, I'm getting a little, uh, a little interesting stuff happening here on Facebook, but I think we're good. Um, nobody's really asking any questions up to this point, so I would encourage you guys to do that. But what has sort of happened, and some of it, you know, you're not always in control, um, because let's say that you have a graduation party, or as an example, this weekend was a great example for me. So I have a CrossFit competition. I'm in Chicago. Of course, I'm going to eat Chicago kind of food. Of course, the calories are going to get high. Then I'm Mother's Day the next day. So Monday, I sort of have to pay the price, right, to kind of keep weight stable. Would I rather do in that situation, rather than having a 5,000 calorie day on a Saturday, and rather than having you know a 3,000 you know day on Sunday for Mother's Day? What I'd probably rather do is, you know, not have a CrossFit competition where I'm going to crush my central nervous system, where I'm going to be able to get the kind of volume that I normally expect, and my sleep is good. My workouts are respectful to my abilities. You know, one of the things that I've talked about and been pretty open about is that my you know, I've kind of had that central nervous system fatigue. And so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, Taylor Jackson kind of referred to it as being mopey. Um, I sort of refer to it as being nappy, right? So like you always, you know, even when you get eight hours sleep, if you have a little central nervous system fatigue, you know, once your coffee starts to wear off, now all of a sudden you kind of feel like you, you need to take a nap. And in fact, you probably do need to take a nap. But what I think tends to happen with a lot of people, and some central nervous system adaptation is a good thing because obviously that's the thing that allows us to get better and stronger in the process. But if you're always banging on your central nervous system, you know, your recovery times can be compromised as a result. The amount of food that you will have to eat as a result, you know, is probably going to gonna go up. If it doesn't go up, 
then what you're you're ultimately going to find is that your recovery is compromised that you know you know in that process um the other thing that sort of happened you know, I've had to really start to introduce more energy dense foods you know to get to like you know 3000 calories 3500 calories um that's fine but one of the issues that I'm sort of having right now is kind of low on fiber, maybe a little bit higher on sugars. You know, I know if you're listening to this and you're new to Eat to Perform, you're like, oh my God, he said the S word. Um, we're okay with sugar, but really it's it's kind of sugar in moderation. And, you know, um, can you get away with it when you have a little bit more activity? Absolutely, right? But, you know, the goal of working out isn't to you know, earn a Snickers, right? The goal of working out is to get better at working out. And so when I'm trying to get in energy, I'm really trying to do that with starches. You know, um, I, you know I've been talking a lot about it. You know, Progenics Build, great product for that. Um, the product that I actually use the good majority of the time, just because I, I like the flavor of it, is Vitargo. And that loads really well. I actually just took some a little bit, you know, doing squats. Um, th that's kind of interesting. Um, so today, I didn't necessarily think that I was going to squat. I was going to do some body weight movements. So I did some body weight movements earlier in the day. Um, I ended up taking a little bit of a nap. And when I say a little bit of a nap, it was like, it was like an hour and five minutes. Um, and I felt like squatting. But because, um, because I'm trying to be cautious, you know, coming out of kind of the central nervous system thing, I almost did it as like a deload week. And so I'll go back to my heavy progressions next week when my sleep is good, when my calories are a little bit more consistent, when, you know, my volume is kind of in place. I think those are the kinds of things that people sort of struggle with, you know, where they focus on, you know, super intensity. I mean, there's times where intensity has to come, you know, for instance, you know, training for the Granite Games in the next, you know, three to four months. I'll have to have my intensity higher as a result. But previous to this competition, what I was able to do was I had, you know, some days where I was squatting and then I would do hill sprints, and then I might do some accessory work. I was able to space that out through the day and add food in that process to where accumulated stress wasn't super bad. The reason why you struggle you know, with central nervous system from a CrossFit competition, what you're really talking about is like not a lot of work. But the work that you're doing is very constricted, you're probably working with a partner, like in my situation, I was working with a partner, um, or you feeling pressure to perform. And so you sort of push it norm, you know, a little bit harder than you normally might, right? And so, you know, you'll deal with some CNS fatigue as it relates to that. Um, we aren't monkeys doing tricks for treats, yes. Um, nappy, that was me this morning. Have you done an in-body sense reversing? I haven't. Um, 
I was sort of waiting um, until uh, you know I get a couple weeks under my belt, but I haven't really I haven't really focused on that. I mean, I'm I'll just tell you though, my okay. Here's why I'm not doing the embody. I'll just be honest with you, because I feel like I'm looking great, you know, and I I really don't need like any bullshit, you know, affecting my journey, you know. Um, now. As long as I feel like I'm headed in the right direction, and 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 let's think about it, okay? I've got volume pieces in place, food pieces in place, sleep pieces in place. All of those things ultimately are going to add to more um, lean mass over time. And you know, we had a we had a GC client actually, you know today went through a body fat testing and she hadn't body fat tested in, in three years and it, it really bothered her. I wouldn't say I would get to that level, but I don't like things messing with the process that I have in place that's working well, right? So I've been kind of really focusing for you guys on the trends and, and trying to make sure that things are sort of headed in the right direction. But if I think something is going to distract me and I feel like I'm on the right path, I won't do it, you know. So Danielle's asking, is it possible to lose weight and body fat percentage and not do PFFL? Absolutely it is. In fact, um, you know, my body fat percentage almost certainly went down before I went to PFFL. Um, I would have rather not PFFL, um, but my volume really took a hit over the winter time as we were sort of prepping for each perform. And no excuses there, but truthfully, sometimes life gets out, you know, gets in your way. I think one of the things that you know the diet industry sort of preys upon people with is, you know. And I was actually just talking about this with my sister-in-law because, you know, she says things like, you know, Weight Watchers is the only thing that ever works for you or worked for her. And, you know, she'll say that going into a Weight Watchers and I'm like, you've never really gotten to the point where you actually understand what's working. And if you did, you wouldn't need any Weight Watchers. Like Weight Watchers need you to need them. Right, the whole point of eat to perform is short, sort of show you this path where some level of maintenance, some level of you know normalizing your calorie point with volume, allows you some level of control over your weight or or whatever. Now it, it sort of depends though, because I think there are a lot of people that are sitting at thirty eight percent, you know that you know, you're not going to recomp from 38%. I mean, you could recomp. It would just take a while. And nobody's here to do that, right? Let's be honest. I mean, people want to see a little bit better result. But I don't think it's reality to think, well, I'll never PFFL again. You know, I mean, last time I did a PFFL, I was like, well, I'll never PFFL again. And here I am. It just happens, right? But as long as you understand that and you're not always snuggling up to the deficit, I think that's a big part of the secret. The reason why my PFFL went so bad, so good, 
um, and why it was so easy was because of the work that I put in, you know, the year before where I kept volume at a priority. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? The goal is to get to a, you know, body fat percentage. I mean, you know, right now, you know, I have, like I said, I haven't checked my in-body, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm right around 13 to 15. Would I like to get to 10 to 9? Absolutely. But I know that the answer for me is really more sets and reps with rest, making sure that I'm getting in volume and, and kind of prioritizing a lot of the pieces that make that kind of thing work. Let me go back. Um, have you had your BMR tested? And if so, was it? accurate with what you eat. I've been tempted to get a metabolic cart done. Um, I think it would be pretty positive, but I've not done it. No. Um, most of the things that you know I've done are estimations uh, up to this point. But in general, I think a lot of what we try to teach you guys is to take these information as guide markers and look at, okay, this is positive. You know, I'm eating 2,400 calories. I am sleeping eight hours a night. I am, you know, able to work out, you know, four to five days. My weights are going up and doing well, right? Those things are, are all super positive. But, you know, um, I'm curious you know, what my metabolic rate is. But the thing about going in a metabolic cart, if I go on a Monday, you know, um, you know, it, it, the information could be vastly different on a Tuesday. So, you know, it's sort of like taking your Fitbit as the gospel. It's not the gospel. My fitness pal, the calories that you're logging, they're not the gospel. You're just trying to find trends and then use those trends to get a result that you would like. Um, so Catherine within the webinar is asking, so do you think you look your best at the end of a PFL or once you've worked up to your TDE? This is a great question, actually, I, because I would like to look my best for a wedding in December. So um, no, you do not look your best um, PFFL. Um, you will almost certainly look better. First of all, think about what PFFL does. PFFL, in theory, is going to make you more insulin sensitive, so your body's going to absorb you know, your carbohydrates better. When you come out of PFFL, it's sort of like being a bodybuilder that's kind of you know cutting for a competition. If you see those guys, they look sort of dehydrated um, and, and not as muscular as they look once they rehydrate up the very next day and, and what the way that they do it is is through IV you know well I can't say that about bodybuilders but I'm pretty sure that that's the case with bodybuilders but I know that's the fact for um, like boxers and MMA most of those guys they'll cut they'll do a weight cut water cut um, and then they'll rehydrate with IV and actually rehydrating with IV is is strangely popular um, right now and I'm just like very interested in the audience for this I almost want to do that as much as I want to do the metabolic cart um, just because you know you your muscles fill up right you're you're they're giving you 
a uh, carbohydrate and electrolyte solution so your muscles are ready for action and so even though your weight might be up slightly like for instance a boxer you know um, a boxer fighting in a 145 category you know he might rehydrate up to 158 when you look at him you know on the days where or her um, on the days before they fight they have kind of a drier look and then the very next day you know probably the best example is is just Google Timothy Bradley you know um, Timothy Bradley looks like the Hulk you know and what's sort of funny about some of these guys like Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather and Timothy Bradley they're these little bitty guys they're like five six you know um, and, and the weights that they're fighting at 145 you know 158 you know things like that you know currently you know I'm at 180 so um, that is something to keep in mind as you watch those sports so let's see I'm trying to get catch back up here nap good I napped the last two days after maxed out deadlift so a lot of people will ask me okay is napping as good as sleeping and I would argue that napping is not as good as sleeping but it's better than not napping <laughs> right so you know um, when you are not sleeping well and similar to what Anne Marie's saying you know so like uh, when um, I don't know if you guys saw, but I had kind of a bigger meal this morning. I thought I'd slept fine, felt really good, even though I only had like seven, uh, six and a half hours sleep. It was a very deep sleep, um, but I did have a very big meal for breakfast. I don't typically have that big of a meal. It was roughly, you know, um, 1,200 to 1,500 calories. And so uh, I did end up being a little lethargic afternoon, and, and that was my nap. But I'd much rather get, you know, eight to eight and a half hours sleep and then not nap. Um, what's an in-body? In-body is a form of body fat testing that you can use. Um, you know, it's probably not as good as BodPod or DEXA, but uh, it's, it's helpful for sure. Um, and the nice thing about InBody, actually, a lot of the, the NFL teams went from the BodPod facility, which required an attendant, to InBodies just on convenience alone. And so you can get on and off. I think it's a great addition to any gym, actually. So Jen's saying, no BS affecting our journeys. No, I think, I think if you feel like things are going well, you know, there's no reason to mess that up. So Kerry's asking, embodies a way to measure body fat percentage, ask, answer any other. Um, you know, Bob Potter Dexa. That was the other thing that happened in with the GC client, um, GC being group coaching. Um, she got a readout, and one of the readout was from um, a handheld, and the other readout was from a DEXA. And the span was so different that it really highlighted how bad the handheld was compared to the DEXA. And so I started kind of doing a little, you know, math for her to explain um, that, you know, what she thought was 18% with the handheld 
was actually not, you know, correct. Um, and if she, if the, the handheld were more correct and, and, and really started to show her lean mass the way that it should have, that the DEXA wouldn't have seemed so out of whack. And I thought that that was sort of a helpful way to sort of look at it. Um, yeah, I mean, bot pod's good, you know, um, you know, the, the advantage of an in-body is that it tends to be a little bit more, um, available to most people, you know, a lot of gem, a lot of gems have been, you know, I think there's like eight eat form gems that have one right now. So Amanda's saying, well, Weight Watchers worked for me initially, but I couldn't perform athletically on it. Weight Watchers and teaching my ex-husband. Hard to tell what was more effective. Um, yeah, the you know, the added stress from those kinds of things um, can certainly affect things. Um, I, I'm going to say both, Amanda. Um, in some ways, this, this is, you know, a little distracting sort of reading these, but in another way, I sort of like it because what I think happens... For anybody listening to the podcast, you know, yeah, I mean, we can have a theme and we can talk about that theme, but more than likely, they're going to want to know, hey, what are the questions that people are doing each form asking right now? So Anne-Marie's asking, when do you do your PFFL or know you are ready? Well, the conditions for my PFFL... Um, is I want to go into it a hundred percent, you know, one, I don't want to be, you know, dragging myself into PFFL. I think a lot of people start a deficit cycle and they do so kind of from a place of, um, you know, not feeling great about the shape that their body's in. That was not a factor as it related to to mine. Now I knew that, um, you know, one, you know, I needed to lose a little bit of weight. I needed to lose a little bit of fat. Now, did I need to? I mean, I'm not obese, right? But you know, there's certainly a little bit of a responsibility being the eat perform guy. Um, also, you know, a lot of the things that I like to do. Um, you know, just constantly adding weight and and hoping that you're recomping, you know, probably isn't the 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 end all way all the end all be all way of doing things. Um, but for me, you know, I've sort of found that you know 180 is a good number. So as as I started to drift more close to 185, seeing 187 on occasion. Um, I knew it was it was time to you know get serious about a cut, and so so I did. But um, yeah, uh, uh, you know, one my calories were higher, my volume was in place, you know for sure. Um, and so once you get you know your sleep in order, your calories in order, and you have good volume in place, and you're feeling like, hey, this would be a really good time to attack some fat loss. I think that is a much better approach than, oh my God, you know, feel so fat. You know, like that is not going to land you where you want to go. That's the reason why people struggle so much is because they they go from that space and they never really land in kind of a place where they're sort of happy. Like 
a lot of people will lose 10 to 15 pounds and they realize that they're just a smaller version of their unhappy selves. So if you walk into a performance-focused fat loss cycle and you're already happy with yourself, well, you'll be a little bit more happy that you've achieved that goal and you've had some level of, um, you know, progress, you know, and, and you can see it. But, uh, you know, to answer the question earlier, right now, every single day I wake up, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say every single day. I would say most days I wake up, you know, as long as I'm kind of heading towards my goals. Um, most mornings I wake up and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great, you know, and and that's out of PFFL. That's almost a month out. And I know that a lot of people get scared of reversing out and we've sort of walking people now rather than weeks. We're walking people through phases but I'm trying to show people how you can go from phase one to phase eight, you know, relatively quickly as long as you're willing to kind of put that volume piece in place quick enough. So Amanda's saying, knowing what I know now about Weight Watchers, there's no way in hell I'd be able to be as effective with my physical activity as I am now. I will say, you know, that's not a Weight Watchers problem per se. Okay, what I think happens with the way that most people go into a deficit or a diet cycle is they think to themselves, I need to lose 30 pounds. And so they just start eating at a deficit so they can lose 30 pounds. Obviously, you guys know we do it a little bit differently and we sort of break it up into smaller chunks so you can see results. But it's the fact that you're... Um, kind of, you know, dig in this deep, deep, deep well that starts to dig into your workouts a little bit more. But when you're in a PFFL, we do tell people your workouts will get a little bit worse. But if you're looking at an 8 to 10 week cycle and your goal is 10 pounds rather than I need to lose 30 pounds, your adherence is a lot better. The other thing too, and I mean, I think that this is actually a plus of Weight Watchers, and I, you know, I think it's sort of a negative to some of the um, elimination diets. You know, um, I mean, not speaking necessarily negative about paleo, but you know, a lot of times paleo sets up a bad relationship with food for a lot of folks. You know, and what people want to do with the way that they change their lifestyle is they want it to become normal. They want to be able to have a beer with friends and, and not gain six pounds, you know? And a lot of times when you, you know, go to a really super extreme deficit, what ends up happening is, you know, you get uncomfortable and then all of a sudden you add food back into the mix and you're like, wow, I kind of like this. And so you overdo it a little bit, and then all of a sudden everybody's like, well, don't worry about the scale. The scale doesn't mean anything. That's bullshit, you know? Like, a lot of times there's a direct correlation between how much weight you lose and how much body fat you lose. Now, there's a lot of factors there, right? Um, 
we just try to walk people through those factors so they don't lose as much muscle in that process by keeping some level of volume and without the deficits being so extreme. You know, probably one of the more interesting things that, that you guys are seeing in Quick Start, and once again, if you're not familiar with Quick Start, it's a basic membership, and then there's sort of this next level for, you know, people that, you know, um, need a little bit more attention or just really kind of, you know, really buy into the eat form way of doing things. And so they're, you know, you know, appreciating the, the, the more support for PFFL cycles, you know, the prizes. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why people would use Quick Start, but it's sort of the next level way of doing things. And you really only get to see that once you're an actual member. Um, so I think I covered the Weight Watchers thing. So Amory's saying, Amory's like using the hell out of these uh, Facebook Lives. That's awesome. Um, worked out very hard the last two days. Today is a rest day, so poverty carbs. And I'm just simply starving all day. Eat more, stick to the macros. Uh, eat more. Um, you know, I think what happens for a lot of people is we don't listen to our bodies. And... You know, if you're starving, what's going to happen when you hit bed? You know, you're not going to be able to sleep well. And then you're sort of, you know, um, setting up this, this you know, dysfunctional pattern that, that's going to end up being unsustainable over time. When you do something like deadlifts, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about my CrossFit competition and um, CNS fatigue. Deadlifts are sort of known for that. And so... What you want to do is you want to probably add some like fast loading carbs because that's probably going to be one of the things. I will say the other day, uh, you know, I started craving peanuts and because I was craving peanuts that told me that maybe my fats were a little bit low. And so I started adding in, you know, I ended up having steak yesterday. This morning I had a fair amount of fat in my breakfast and Ultimately, I feel a lot better as a result. Like I said, you know, I wasn't even planning on doing squats today and ended up squatting. So I, I really sort of recovered that much. That was a part of lift, listening to your body. I think that a lot for a lot of you guys, you still need to sort of get there, right? You, you need to get to that point where you feel like you have enough control. And just from the conversations that we've had, Amory. I don't know that you feel that yet, but it's that sort of self-experimentation that will allow you to say, okay, you know, I ate a little bit more. Yeah, maybe my weight went up a little bit, but I feel better. I slept better. Maybe now I can cycle a little bit, and then you use that day kind of moving forward. So Catherine is saying she just missed the beginning. That's okay, Catherine. Um, we can actually get you guys the recording of this. Um, and if you're in the Quick Start group, you can just go to the Quick Start group and watch it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Actually, we, we if you're a group, uh, if you're a coaching certification client, it's going to be as a podcast. 
So Catherine's saying working up to total daily energy expenditure at the moment. Next week I'll be 2,500 calories. Do we need to log supplements, for example, fish oil? Yes, you want to log everything. The only thing that I don't log sometimes is um, vegetables, but I'm sort of, I'm sort of getting into that a little bit more too, just because I feel like you know I need to sort of regulate. You know, I've noticed that like my fiber's been 20 to 25 grams, and I'd probably like to see that closer to 35 grams. So I think that that's helpful. Um, Catherine's saying, how often should we take fish oil and how much? I gotta be honest with you guys, I don't take any fish oil. When I do take fish oil, um, I tend to take something like Pure Pharma. Um, basically what you're looking for is high levels of EPA and DHA. And a lot of times if you go to, you know, probably the best example would be if you go to Sam's Club or or something like Costco, you'll see like these big tubs of fish oil. Usually that's there's not a lot of EPA and DHA in those. That's why they're so cheap. You know, um, Pure Pharma, their pills are actually in a dark casing. The reason why is that fish oil gets rancid and light, so kind of keep that in mind. Um, the reason why I don't tend to use fish oil um, is I, I try to eat a fair amount of lean meats. Um, you know, most of the, the beef that I'm eating is grass-fed, so I tend to not need fish oil as much as other people would. Um, I do think, you know, and I think, you know, the science sort of shows this, that the effect of fish oil probably isn't, you know, a little exaggerated. But most people will admit that they their joints feel a little bit better, um, especially if they're sort of, you know, eating, you know, kind of the, the standard, you know, super convenient way of doing things. Loading up on a little fish oil tends to be helpful. Um, in terms of dosing, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking roughly 1,000 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams. Um, Catherine's saying she's been sore post-workout and thought the fish oil would help with recovery. You want to know what really helps with recovery? Rest, right? That was a thing that I learned a long time ago because I was using fish oil, um, similar to what you said, you know, on the recommendation of all the people that were so super pro, you know, fish oil, but I was, you know, working out three days on, one day off, right? I was probably working out at 60 to 70% a lot, and I hadn't really focused my programming in a way that was sort of respectful of my abilities as an athlete. When you look at how I do things now, like today as an example, or yesterday was sort of an impromptu rest day, in fact, you know. I was still feeling kind of a little CNS fatigue, so I just took a, a full rest day. And, oh, by the way, you know, I, I ended up eating close to 3,000 calories. Now, my normal activity is fairly high, you know. Um, you know, I'm kind of a pacer. I'm, I'm, I'm a high-energy guy as it is. You know, if I'm walking my dog, I tend to go for a little bit longer walk, things like that, just because... If I don't feel 100%, I just don't work out, you know. Um, 
working out, I can control my weight with food, right? So I don't need to work out to control my food. And I know a lot of you guys listening to this are thinking to yourself, you know, well, I don't either, you know. But I think a lot of people do sort of unconsciously. I know I did for a long time, you know, where I felt like I needed to kind of have these huge burns. But what you start to figure out as you program and you kind of listen to your body a little bit more, that you're always better off working out with a good amount of sleep. That you're always better off working out fully recovered. She's saying, yeah, I've been going hard and finally taking a day off tomorrow. Um, man, you know, I just genuinely feel like you get better as an athlete, you know, listening to your body and recovering. And now sometimes you're going to be training for something, so you have to get in the volume, you know. Um, but even in that scenario, you have to you have to do what you can, you know, like when I first came out of performance focused fat loss roughly four weeks ago, you know, what I was doing was because, you know, I was going into this competition. So I would just squat and then, you know, start to do some sprints. And, and at that point, you know, I was being fairly conservative and then got a little bit more aggressive as the weeks went on. But not only did my weights go up, my reps went up, I started lifting more. But now all of a sudden, three weeks, four weeks in, now I'm adding in accessories. Now I'm doing a little bit more ab work. Now I'm doing a little bit more um, pull-ups on the side, things of that nature. Um, you know, the first week out, you know, I really focused on squats and deadlifts. Now I've added a third day where I bench press. So that's how I kind of sort of factor in. Uh, some of my volume but yeah in general uh, I would say less fish oil and more recovery so if you do have CNS fatigue would you eat the same calorie as your active day or during your rest day um it depends I would say that uh, you know yesterday I did end up eating a little bit more um, as a result of the fatigue and did not see any noticeable weight gain. Um, a lot of people would look at my Fitbit and go, well, yeah, but you burned 3,000 calories and you ate 3,000 calories. I'm not sure that there's a direct correlation there. There's probably some positive signs there, but I think ultimately what my body is doing is recovering and my muscles are you know what we tend to think of is we get so super focused on timing and so super focused on you know um, glute 4 receptors and all this other type of stuff and what we don't realize is sort of what Catherine's talking about you work out one day right and then you work out the next day and then the third day As those workouts accumulate, you know, you might be starving by day four. So if you don't listen to your body in that scenario, you know, you might see, well, hey, you know, I'm going to end up being down three or four pounds or your weight actually might be up because now all of a sudden, similar to Anne Marie's question, you have sort of a lowish carb day and it ends up being kind of 
added stress or like Mike, Mike talks about accumulated stress. So, you know, that's where, you know, a lot of this experimentation makes a big difference. But I think the other thing too is if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out how it could work for you, what I think everybody needs to focus on is that the good majority of the time you're not in a deficit. You're not trying to lose weight, right? You're trying to stay weight stable. And the more that you can stay weight stable, the more volume you can add, the more food you can add in that process, and the more that you can listen to your body and get rest and all that other type of stuff, the more favorable that's going to be for adding new tissue or at the very least keeping the tissue that you currently have. So Chris is saying, I like the slow road results. If you read Windler, he tells you that you can't be eating paleo or low calorie to be successful. Yeah, I mean, I have to tell you, you know, there are guys that can get success like that. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of the powerlifting guys tend to be super, you know, beast mode about it, you know, and... You know, if you have ever seen a picture of Jim Windler, he's kind of a big dude. So, you know, he's probably not going to be chicken and killing his way to 5,000 calories. You know, as a, you know, power lifter that, you know, can compete anywhere from 165 to 181, I could probably be fine on paleo as long as, you know, I'm making sure. The problem with paleo tends to be, that people go, well, I added a sweet potato around my workout and, you know, really didn't make that big of a difference. It's like, well, yeah, because it's only 30 grams of carbs, you know. I mean, I had, you know, 70 grams of carbs around my workout and it was nowhere near as hard as the workouts that many of you are doing. You know, that's the funny thing. Brad and I were talking, you know, and I'm talking about Dr. Brad Dieter. Um, but Brad and I, you know, it's funny talking to Brad because we don't work out near as hard as, as, as you guys do, you know, um, and we probably aren't near as obsessive about, you know, I mean, right now I've been tracking, um, and in some ways it's sort of been enlightening as it relates to my behavior, but in some ways I think it probably holds me back. Like for instance, today. You know, today I'm probably doing a little bit more macro Tetris than I probably would if I wasn't tracking. And I'd probably end up eating a little bit more and recovering a little bit better in that process. But I think that there's advantages in both ways. And so, you know, I don't want to discount that. But there is an advantage to being a little less obsessive, that's for sure. So Anne-Marie saying paleo messed me up, thought of food as good food and bad food, still working through that relationship that food is just food. Yeah, I mean, you know, you'll see people struggle with orthorexia type symptoms, um, which, you know, is sort of a version of a, of a eating disorder. And, you know, I, I feel like when I read Dr. Cordain's book initially, and especially the the, you know, Paleo for Athletes, which, by the way, isn't a great book. Um, but both books really talk about some level of flexibility. 
this is sort of an interesting point, actually. So Dr. Cordain wrote the book on paleo, was sort of interesting. The books that have been more popular than Dr. Cordain's book was the Rob Wolf book and the Whole30 book, which, you know, I can't even remember the name of it at this point, but um, the in both instances, it took Dr. Cordain's book and made it a little bit more restrictive. Now, you know, since then, you know, I actually like a lot of the information that Rob Wolf puts out. And I think he's one of the more enlightened people because he talks about carbohydrates and working out and stuff like this. A lot of the things that happen to Rob, you got to remember, related to his health. And so when, you know, he was working through that stuff, he was talking about a specific health condition that, that helped him with. But when you look at Whole30, okay, and why Whole30 is popular, it's the same reason why Weight Watchers popular and Slim Fast is popular. And what people want is something very simplistic that lands them at the end of the road, and then they never have to diet again. And if they have to eat chicken and kale to have abs, then they'll be fine. The only problem is, is that 30 days afterwards, they don't have abs. They're still kind of lost. Yes, they realize that eating some level of um, chicken and kale makes sense, but they probably knew that previous to that. They just had some bad habits and they wanted to clean those up a little bit. But when you look at the progression of where Dr. Cordain's book started to where Dallas and Melissa's book ended, what are we talking about? A more militant, more rigid approach all along. Okay, they didn't do that because the systems are necessarily better. They did it because that's what you guys wanted. What you guys want, what the people, what the customer wants is to believe that their habits are so bad that they've got to cuddle up to this really super restrictive system. When you look at something like Whole30 compared to say Weight Watchers or Slim Fast or anything where it's like super low um, calorie or low carb or whatever um, or low calorie, low carb, they're just giving you what you want to buy, right? But when you look at the statistics, the statistics, the statistics clearly show that no one is really getting long-term success that way and long-term success being defined by, you know, getting to a weight and able to stay at that weight. And the reason why is because you're making your cells less receptive over time and then when you start to re-add in food. You know, a great example was the New York Times article where they talked about the biggest losers and really kind of destroying these contestants' metabolisms and how, you know, when they leave the show, they almost always gain the weight back and then their metabolisms are worse as a result. There's a lot of ways to look at that. There's a lot of people talking about that, that that naturally would happen as you age and have less muscle, this and that. But at the end of the day, really restrictive dieting does affect your metabolism, does make you um, more resistant to nutrients, not you know more sensitive to them so you absorb them better. Occasional dieting does that though, right? Occasional dieting will make you more 
you know, sensitive to the nutrients that you're taking in so they load better. But eventually, you know, what works at times is going to slow over time. And so if you just kind of just bang that hammer and then bang that hammer hard, ultimately you just become, you know, kind of this, this, this dysfunctional version of what you were trying to accomplish. And, you know, I'm not going to say that it's easy to figure out these pieces, but when you look at it from the standpoint of being active and moving and all those things, now it gives you a much better template than just only snuggling up to less. So Catherine's saying, brand new to this, what should be my step one? Well, I would say that your step one is really focusing on getting that volume piece in place and making sure that, you know, like I said, when I started a PFFL, eventually you may want a PFFL, okay? What do I have in place when I'm PFFL? First of all, I'm happy with myself, right? I'm just trying to get a little bit better than the version I am right now. Two, I'm eating an adequate amount of food. That is big. Three, my sleep is good. That's awesome. Four, my volume's in place. So if we start with those things and we have those three to four pieces in place, now all of a sudden we have a baseline to work from because we go, okay, when I'm sleeping eight hours a day and when I'm eating, you know, let's say 2,600 calories and then when I'm uh, working out roughly four to five days a week with some level of, you know, running maybe some level of resistance training, and then a hit session here once or twice, well, that might be what most people would consider um, a, a really good formula. That's really what we like. By volume, you mean food volume, correct? I don't necessarily mean food volume. I think when I'm talking about volume, I'm really talking about um, activity, you know, and uh, specifically, uh, you know, what I think that a lot of people will do when they first start off with Eat to Perform, you know, we try to get them a little bit more acclimated to activity trackers. You know, if you have a sedentary job, as an example, um, you might not be aware that you're only burning 1,800 calories. And so if you're eating 1,800 calories and you're not losing weight, well, duh, right? Um, but there are a lot of people that are eating 1,400 calories and then burning 3,200 calories and sort of creating this gigantic stress atmosphere. And if they've been doing that for the last, you know, say 18 years, well, that's not a great formula for fat loss. And so that's why we try to break things down to the various elements so we can then say, okay, if you can improve this piece, now that'll allow us a little bit of an experiment to see if we can kind of kind of move from there. The thing to always remember is that if you've been dieting for a long time, recovering from dieting is going to be hard. And, you know, um, th that is what it is, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I think sometimes that can be overdone. I, I think that a lot of the times when somebody is coming from a restricted background, they probably aren't doing near as much as they, they thought or they're doing things that aren't particularly, like as an example, let's say that I was under eating and I was jogging most days for five to six days, 
Well, I can get away with jogging, you know, five to six hours. Um, or I'm sorry, five to six miles without it being, you know, too stressful on my system. Now, it will accumulate over time. Could be a cortisol nightmare. You end up not sleeping, all those types of things. So clearly, you know, some... Um, connection as it relates to the food volume and work volume would help. But I think the, the good majority of the people that, um, you know, are in that situation, they're not lifting heavy. They're not putting a metabolic demand when they're testing your metabolism in a lab. You know, they're really going to be focused more on the amount of muscle that you have. That's the first thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I mean, the, the, having all three of those pieces in place, especially as it relates to resistance training, makes a big difference. So let's see. All right, so I like these things. Gotta get them in. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you being here, and Emery, you ask, you always ask great questions. Um, props on visual speech. Um, I do, I do, I'm not, I'm not a hater of fish oil, but I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, um, I'm a big fan of rest. So one gram of EPA, DHA decreases the risk of cardiac rest. Yep. Um, I do have, you know, Pure Pharma in my cabinet. I just haven't been using it lately just because, you know, I eat mostly grass fed and lean. Deb's asking, when do you know if you should take creatine or BCAAs? Are they really needed for all weight training? Creatine is like, it's like knowing that you have pull-ups and you go, um, I'm not going to do pull-ups because, you know, I think it's going to make me too muscular or something like that. Probably not a great example, but... Creatine, the reason why people don't do creatine is because it bloats them. There's lots of ways to kind of deal with that. I think ultimately the way that people take creatine and what they do isn't always conducive. For instance, I took creatine today, did squats. I'm fairly sure that it's going to load really super well. Um, because I've kind of asked my body to pull it into the muscle easier. I think if you're kind of, you know, jogging and doing creatine, it might take a little bit more while, a little bit longer time for it to load. But creatine is like the lowest hanging fruit. BCAAs is sort of different. Now, my view on BCAAs is that BCAAs is really a calorie thing. The reason why t people take BCAAs is because they're trying to keep their calories relatively low. It's an incomplete protein. You, if you have the calories, you'd be better off with a complete protein, something like whey protein. The reason why people take it is it's some level of insurance. So should you take it? I do take it. Um when I'm on a cut, just because I want to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to keep my, my muscle mass. But 
when I'm eating 3,000, 3,500 calories, I don't, I don't take BCAAs. I don't need BCAAs. Um, and um, that would be sort of like, you know, eating 100 grams of fiber on days that I'm trying to get in three to 4,000 calories. You know, you'd be much better off not eating that much fiber so then your nutrients can load in your muscle easier. A lot of times fats and fiber will hurt, you know, the absorption and that's a factor. Um, shoot. My, my quick start just shut down. All right, so I'm gonna take that as a sign there's probably a few questions that are being asked. And so what I will do is I will jump online and ask those questions. But we've been going for a little bit more than an hour right now. And it's probably time to shut it down anyway. So I appreciate everybody being here. Actually, this has really worked out well. For you guys that are listening on the webinar at the moment, You know, we did have it online in our um, quick start section. So that's where a lot of the people were asking questions there. So um, if you wanted to watch the replay and you're a Quick Start member, that would be a great way to do it. Otherwise, I'll load this up as a podcast probably um, by tomorrow morning. Talk to you guys later, and I appreciate everybody listening.